0: Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been asked to do something and replied, oh, I I can't do that, or I just don't know what to do, or someone else can do it better? Well, how did that make you feel? Because you knew right well that they could do it. But you only got an excuse. And you knew that it was an excuse. Well, it got me thinking, how do you think God feels when we pull that on him? Especially since he knows that you can do what he's asking you to do, because he's given you the ability. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And he's asking them what they've heard about who he is. You see, this is the easy part for them, because they're only reporting what other people have said. And that's Jesus' reputation, uh, the word on the street, if you like. What do people say? Who Who are they saying that I am? And it really required no particular talent or responsibility on their part. Nothing that they might have to do, only report what other people had to say. It's easy. In fact, anybody could do it. Every one of us here could do it this morning. When you say, what do people say? But the the answers they got that they gave were quite interesting. They said, there's a lot of question, a lot of question who you are, a lot of speculation who you might be. They think you might be John the Baptist, you know, he's been beheaded and or Elijah Jeremiah one of the prophets they had a lot of different ideas but the next question he asked them had a completely different set of values attached to it and after hearing what others said about him he asked them directly okay this is what they say what about you Who do you say that I am? I know I've preached on this before, and we've asked the question, who is Jesus to you? What is your understanding of who Jesus is? You see, here now, they were required to get personal and to make a commitment by what they said. And and by the way, there's a lot that's said in Scripture about what we say with our mouths. What we confess with our mouths, the great importance of that. Because it has a dynamic effect. What we say in the natural has an effect in what happens in the supernatural. We're going to see that later. It's a contract, if you like, by the words that we say. So Jesus put them on the spot. Said, this is what others say. Now, what do you say? See, whatever they said would commit them. And Jesus would know if they understood or not. Now, how many remember when you were in your education process, whether it be you know, public school or high school or college, university, and the teacher would ask if if there were any questions, and you didn't put up your hand because you didn't want others to know that you were lost and you didn't have a clue what was going on. How many have ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? No, you don't. That's why you're just nodding and saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what you do. Well, Peter comes up with the answer. Yay, Peter. (laughs) He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. (laughs) And I can imagine all the others chimed in and said, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. No, he stole my answer. That's what I was going to say. It's a good answer. Because it's true. Okay, now here's where Jesus takes that and he begins to teach them something very valuable. He says, guys, what you just heard is very fundamental. And it's so essential that you get it. The fact that I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is a fun foundational truth that you need to understand. And, and he, Jesus then does a little play on words. He says, you are Peter and on this rock. The word Peter means a little stone. In French, the word Pierre is a stone. It's a rock. He says, you're Peter, but on this rock of truth that you understand that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God. That is the rock that Jesus is talking about. This, and, and later on in scripture, he's called the, the cornerstone. He says, it's so essential that you understand this truth that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. And on this rock of truth, I am going to build my church. And even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You see, the emphasis here is Jesus says, I I'm going to build my church. Whose church is it? I know you can do better than that. Whose church is it? Who's gonna build it? Jesus. Ah. Okay. And folks, never never let us get the mistaken idea that this is about us. That this is our church. It never was, it never will be, it will always be his. And the strength for building it is through him. He is the one that changes lives. I've been in some type of pastoral ministry for over 35 years. And I have never saved one person. It's always been Jesus. I have led them. To Jesus, but it's always been Jesus who did the saving. It's always been Jesus who did the building of His church. Why? Because He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the Living God. He is our sacrifice. He is our atoning sacrifice. He's our Lord and our Savior. So, do we understand who Jesus is? Do we understand that as the Son of God? He also shared all the attributes of the Father, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and that he is present everywhere at all times. The three divine attributes that we attribute to to the Father God, to Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we need to understand this. It's the foundation of every other principle in the Word of God that Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Son, is our Messiah and our Savior and our Lord. See, that's the first step. Now, the second step, Jesus tells them, since you understand the nature of who I am and the truth that is represented, that's the first step. The second step is, I'm going to give you a couple of keys. And we see them in verse 19. They're called the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I I have, I have a lot of keys. How many of you have a lot of keys? Okay, yeah, this one's for my office. This one's for other rooms in the church. This one's for the padlock on my garage. This one's for the door on my garage. This is for the sound booth. This is for the doors of the church, and this one is the most vital of all. It opens the hand towel dispenser in the ladies' and men's washrooms. <laughs> Somebody's got to have it. I got one. Paul's got one. We got one hidden someplace in case we lose it. Hey, come on, important's important, is it not? But, you know, I've got a lot of keys, And every one of them opens up something that is locked. Have I got you so far? You're with me. Okay, good. See, that's what a key does. It opens locked doors. And doors are locked because what's inside is very valuable and needs to be protected. You have no idea how precious those hand towels are in the washrooms. You really don't. Now listen, Jesus told them, I'm going to give you the keys, and they're the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And this is what they unlock. One is used to loose the power from heaven on earth. The other one is used to lock it up or bind it up. That same power on earth. Do you see that? Look at verse 19. These are the keys that are used to loose or bind, to open or lock the power of God, the kingdom of heaven. And who has this power? You do. I do. Jesus gave it to all those who understand that he is God. And he says, whatever you loose, whatever you bind, you're going to see the ramifications of this. But how many see that that power has been given to your hands this morning? Do you see that? You are mentioned. Whatever you loose, whatever you bind. Now, there are things that only God can do. We're not able to because he's God and we're not. But then there are things that he will not do because he has told us to do it. Because he has given us the ability. Past tense. When you're saved, there are things he has given to you. And he will not. God will not repent for you. You must do that. God will not accept the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. Unless you ask for it. Scripture says, as many as call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There are certain things that only God can do. But then there are things that he will not do because he's told us to do it. So what's that mean to us? Since we have been given the keys, it means that we have a direct opportunity and responsibility to see God's power set free here on earth through our lives and in our church. And on the other hand, by our attitude or our actions, we can bind up the power of God so that his spirit cannot flow the way that God intended it to. God wants to bless his church. Do you agree with that? I've got seven people. Let's try another one. God wants his church to grow. God wants his children to grow and mature and disciple others. Okay. So we can't say, I can't do it. Or someone else can do it better. See, God has placed the keys to the kingdom of heaven within each of our hands. And there is a power that He wants to set free through us, just like water through a garden hose. Now, how many of you have uh, lived through the experience of drinking water out of a garden hose? All of us, baby boomers. All Gen Xs have never done it because it's unsanitary and you might not live. Well, we're still here. Now how many know that before you take the drink out of the water, out of the garden hose, what do you do? You take the garden hose and you kink it so you don't get a face full of water. How many have ever done that? How many of you were doing that for someone else and you released it just as they were about to take a drink? Okay. <laughs> See, the water stops even though it is still flowing from the faucet. This is key. The water is still flowing through that garden hose, through the faucet, and when you kink it off, it doesn't mean it's shut off. It just means it can't get out. And God's power was poured out through His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it has not been shut off. God's Spirit is still flowing. God's power is still at work on the earth. And if we kink off that hose, because we're the conduits of the Spirit of God flowing out to others, that power is still flowing. It's just not getting out. Because you have the key to loose or bind the power of God. So, how do we bind up the flow of the power of God? Well, I've got four things here very quickly that I want to just mention to you that can influence the flow of the Spirit of God. Because I think if I was to ask you, all of us would agree that we want to see God's power flow as he would desire in our church. We want God's will to be done. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're all anxious for God's power to flow through each of our lives and through our church. So that he can build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, there's fear. There are many things that go undone because we're afraid we might fail. And as a result, many people don't even try. Oh, it might not work. Over the years, I've sat in in meetings, board meetings, and we wanted to, to, to try something. And they said, well, what if it doesn't work? And I said, "Well, then we won't do it again, but well, we won't know unless we try." Paul said to Timothy, he said, "Tim, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear will bind you up on the inside. Fear of the unknown is the greatest fear that's out there. And you know what? Every one of us live with that every day of our lives because not one of us knows what's going to happen when this service is over. Not one of us knows what's going to happen this afternoon. Not one of us knows what tomorrow might hold. We're all facing the unknown every moment of our lives. So fear can bind up the flow of the power of God. Unbelief is another often Jesus would chastise his disciples for their lack of faith. And even when he went to his hometown, Capernaum, it says he could do not many miracles because of their unbelief. Now, if we really get down to it, whenever we are controlled by unbelief, what we are really saying is, God, I don't think you're going to come through. Said, so "You're going to leave me hanging." I love the man in Scripture who said to Jesus, "Said Lord, I believe, but help the part of me that doesn't." He was honest. Said, "Lord, I believe, but help, help thou mine unbelief." It says in the King James. I think that's an honest response. Said, "God, I really want to believe, but there's a part of me that's finding it a little difficult. I need your help." But unbelief, unbelief is saying, God, I don't think you can do it. How about uh, the third one, which is unforgiveness? Oh, wow. Unforgiveness is one of those things that can bind the church up faster than anything else. The Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us as we forgive. Or in the same way that I forgive others, Lord, I want you to forgive me. You see, since God's spirit moves when there's a unity among the believers, as we see on the day of Pentecost, it it, it says it over and over again, they're in one accord, in one place. They were together. And the spirit was being poured out, and the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were getting saved. We see that unforgiveness will cause a division and a disunity within the body. And I've discovered that too many times, people hold on to things that really don't matter instead of letting them go. You know, it's really embarrassing when you're having an argument with somebody and you're really angry and you hold on to it for a long time and then they ask you, what is it we're fighting about and you can't remember? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. You know how I felt? Yeah, really stupid. Getting all upset about something that really didn't matter in the first place. When my wife and I were dating, we decided we were going to hold on to the things that we were worth holding on to and let go of the things that didn't matter. And unforgiveness will bind up a church and stem the flow. The key. The last one is very obvious will sin in our lives. Psalm 66 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. King James says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. See, those are the things that we can use to bind up the Spirit of God. But God is also, Jesus also gave us A key to set things loose. Let's look at faith. Jesus said to the woman who touched his garment, your faith has made you well. Faith is is defined in Hebrews 11 as being the substance of things hoped for and is evidenced by what we see. Faith takes God at his word and says, God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. We don't say, I can't do it. We don't say that. We say, God, I believe that through you everything is possible. In my office upstairs, there's a blackboard. And on the blackboard, I I write down different quotes. Things that I want to be reminded of. And one from Henry Blackaby says, Don't let the uncertainty of the second step hinder you from taking the first step. And by faith we say God everything is possible with you. God if you say it it can happen. And we release that faith. We say God it's all possible whatever you say. Second part of that key is confidence. In 1 John chapter 5 says this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we asked of him confidence how many of you have asked Jesus to forgive your sins and be your Lord did he do it How do you know? Do you feel any different? You take him at his word. (laughs) I remember hearing a story years ago about a little girl who rushed home from church. And she ran upstairs into the bathroom and she came downstairs crying and crying. Her mom says, what's wrong? What's wrong? Says, well, mommy, today at church... I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I just went upstairs and I weighed myself, and I don't weigh anymore, so he mustn't have done it. That's simple faith. How do I know I'm forgiven? Because I asked Jesus to forgive me. And his word says if I ask him, he'll do it. But what if I don't feel like he's done it? It's got nothing to do with your feelings has everything to do with how dependable God is. He says, if you confess, he'll forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I trust God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't withhold his goodness. Well, we talked about unforgiveness. How about forgiveness? That's a key that sets things loose. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, it's so easy to forgive. How many believe that to be true? Okay, sermon number two. The big hang-up with people in forgiveness is they say, well, I don't feel like I've forgiven them. I'm still holding the grudge. Well, the truth of the matter is, forgiveness is not a state of feeling. Forgiveness is an act of your will. Where someone says, will you forgive me? You say, I forgive you. It's a contract, it's done. It's an action that you have taken. It has nothing to do with feelings. Say, well, I don't feel like I've forgiven them. Well, you take that up between you and God, but the person has been forgiven. When a person is on trial and the judge gives them a pardon that they have been forgiven, it doesn't matter how the judge feels or how the person feels. That person is pardoned signed and sealed and when we confess our sins jesus says i'll forgive your sins signed and sealed when someone sins against you and you say i forgive you it is done signed and sealed so what i do with the feelings i work them out but realize that the basic fundamental truth is that forgiveness is something you grant not something you feel The last one we will look at this morning is confession. Peter, in talking to the Israelites in Acts chapter three, says, Repent and then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Folks, on a hot day, when I was a kid, having the water splash out of a garden hose was so refreshing. It just lifts you up. Here in our city on hot days, you'll see families flock by the hundreds to the splash pads. They can get a little bit of water, a little bit of refreshing. And folks, when we come here on Sunday morning... Your spirit and your soul might be dry and thirsty after a week of being exposed to everything that this world has to offer. And we come into this place and we sing songs about Jesus our Messiah. We sing songs about he's all I need. We sing songs that lift him up and says it's well with my soul. And the water and refreshing of the Holy Spirit begins to flow through our lives and over our bodies. And we as a body of Christ become refreshed in the presence of the Lord. That's why we come together. On Sunday. And if I can get excited about the Blue Jays winning a ball game, my goodness, I can get excited about the Spirit of God flowing through our lives on a Sunday morning. Can you say amen? amen. So, do you want to see times of refreshing come to Scott Street Church from the Lord? Well, the keys have been placed into your hand because I believe God is ready and anxious to pour out of his spirit in a great way. So are you willing? The keys are in your hands. Thank you for listening any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.